This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, do you have an idea for a podcast but don't know where to start? Or do you have an already existing podcast that you want to take to the next level? Well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. From concept development to theme music to editing to logos, WeKnowPodcasting.com is a one-stop shop for all things pod. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're very nice. We're here to entertain you. We'll sing your songs for good times, the best times. Soon you'll be swaying, so come on, sing along. Greetings from not white, sunny, Christmassy California. Today we are diving into, well, first of all, Matt said, hey, what's your favorite Christmas movie that happened before your time? And I have a bunch, but of course, my number one that I had to pick was White Christmas. So get your holly jolly out. Light up the Christmas spirit and let's talk about those tip tap top and shoes. That's not even a word. Let's talk about those dancing feet that we all love on White Christmas. Here we go. I'm Well, Merry Christmas, Kelsey. Merry effing Christmas. I know it. I feel like every year everyone's like, oh, I can't believe it's Christmas. It came so fast. But legitimately this year, I'm like, wow. And I, I know pandemic plays into like that time warpy feeling where it's like, and it's Christmas again. But I think for sure, I think because last year we were really in the thick of the time warp of mm-hmm. the pandemic. So like every day felt like a month. And now we're like kind of sort of back where I feel like this whole year felt like it was in warp speed compared to last year. It was insane to me. Yeah, it really is insane. And now, I mean, I know we were just talking about how much we are for the Christmas season. I'm like, I'm I'm ready for it. I'm here for it. Bring it on. But I definitely kind of keep like reminding myself every day. I'm like, nope, it is this time. <laughs> it is here. I need to go Christmas shopping yet again. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So... I asked you, what is something that you would want to do for the Christmas episode? And I don't even think there was a second of hesitation. You were like, it's white Christmas. Yeah, it has to be white Christmas. Like, and I feel like everyone's going to go, duh, but like, there's a reason it's a classic. I mean, I almost feel like 
do we do the double whammy of talking about both the movie and the song White Christmas is the best-selling single in music history? Yeah, we we definitely will dive into the song a little bit because I want to go into the music of this film because it's fantastic. But yeah, I mean, everything about it. And like you said, the song alone, Bing Crosby's recording. I mean, you can't go a holiday season without hearing it. Like the, Mariah Carey might outnumber him and how many times you hear her. But I'm gonna say, you know, like it's every day you're gonna hear Bing. There's certain. Let me ask you this while we're while we're getting in, into it because White Christmas, at its core, is a pretty sad Christmas song. I cry every time I hear it. Yeah. What are some other Christmas songs that invoke that in you, or is it just White Christmas? That's so funny. I was just thinking about this, and you know what it is? The one that makes me cry every single time is "Have Yourself a Very uh, Merry Little Christmas," and because I, as an entertainer, have spent years and years and years and years away from home over the holidays. I've been on contracts overseas, not with my family. And every time the lyric, through the years, we'll all, we all will be together if the fates allow. I just cry every time that, because it's like maybe next year I can be with the ones I love. And if they allow, maybe in it, but but Merry Christmas. And oh, it just oh, it makes me cry every time. <laughs> 100%. I've told this story on another podcast before, but I, I'll share it here too, is um when my aunt, Lisa died. And I remember it was like mid November. And I was like, I need the Christmas music. Like I, I just, I need it. I need the pick me up. So I'm driving around and I have a playlist that is literally like almost 2000 songs of like covers and originals and whatever. I thought you were going to say it's just a playlist of sad, make you yeah, cry. Just Christmas sad, no, no, no. And I was like, you would have that list. I would, would, I would, but it was that song that made me cry, but it was the twisted sister version of that song, which almost made it hilarious. I'm done. I'm throwing because, my pen. I'm because out. it was, it's the exact same lyric that you said though. It was just hearing that lyric and like realizing it was going to be my first Christmas without my Aunt Lisa. And like, that's yeah. what I put if the fates allow into. And I just okay. like that one. And even um, I'll be home for Christmas will get of me. Course, yeah, and, yeah, I like, mean, that's that one definitely too. But it's the songs I, about family, honestly. It's, yeah, it's songs honestly, about being separated from family that will always hit. For some reason, White Christmas gets me more, I think. And I don't know why. Like lyrically, there's no reason it should. But something, and it's specifically when, I mean, lyrically it should, but like, it, and it's when Bing Crosby sings it. And there's, and I think I always go back to specifically this movie, which obviously we're going to, my favorite catchphrase, dive right in. But, you know, it's when he's singing it in um, the 151st Division in World War II, and it's Christmas Eve, and you hear the bombs in the back, and all the men are sitting there, not at home, fighting a war. And it's just the tone. It's like, oh, I, it just embodies that moment in the song. Well, Gelsey, you're getting already to what I wanted to talk about here. <laughs> the reason why White Christmas has been considered the best-selling single of all time is that it came out originally during World War II, while a bunch of families were separated from each other. And yes, it, it was did, 1942. Said, it was said that every household had two copies of it because the child who was out fighting in the war had a copy to keep them feeling like they were back home for Christmas while the family back home had a copy longing for their son to come home. People don't really talk about the opening line, but obviously it wasn't written about wartime, but it was written about, ironically, living in Los Angeles and wishing that you were back up north with your family. Shh, that's not what it's about, Matt. No one is in California wishing they're back up north. Shut up. The sun is shining. The grass is green, 
The orange and palm trees sway There's never been such a day In Beverly Hills, L.A. But it's December the 24th And I'm longing to be up north I'm dreaming of a wild Christmas I actually have never heard those lyrics. I know that the song actually debuted with Bing Crosby singing it in 1942 in Holiday Inn, yeah. um, which we will definitely get into that movie another time because <laughs> one of my faves, but got some stuff there. Anyways, I don't want to get too far into that. But um, <laughs> yeah, that is that is very sad and also like very touching. Well, on that note, let's get into this movie. Yeah, let's get into this movie because you described it. There are multiple parts where I tear up watching this movie. Oh, We're yeah. Just oh, gonna... my gosh. I, I like <laughs> cry like a baby every time. But let me just give a quick synopsis for those of you out there who have never seen White Christmas. It is a musical film from 1954. Um, The music is written by none other than Irving Berlin, (laughs) a brilliant genius. Did you know, okay, so Irving Berlin, I'm going to go off on a little tangent. He had a 60-year career, right? His first international hit is in 1911 with Alexander's Ragtime Band. That's 1911. Amazing. This movie came out in 1954. So he's a 60, <laughs> like what? I was, re- I was, I can't. And then he estimated to write 1500 songs that he wrote 20 original Broadway shows and 15 original Hollywood films. Yeah. He was just so, cranking out content. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. Talk about original content creator and they're all like award winning. So you know what? I'm giving my standing ovation right now to Mr. Berlin himself. Jesus. What a saint. There's a lot of a lot of them in this film. Everyone like anyways. Okay. Oh, this so, cast is still I mean, we're gonna dive into the cast oh in a second. God. It's unbelievable. I just like could jump up for joy of how much I love all of them. But so uh <laughs> synopsis I'm like having ADD. Two entertainers who just served in World War II are out in their duo career and move into producing to now work on their new show, playing around. They go to scout new talent and find a sister duo act who they follow to Vermont where they are booked to do a Christmas show while the snow-filled mountains bring in guests. Wrong! They get there. There's no snow. There's no guests. Then the boys find that actually the owner of the inn is none other than their major General Thomas G. Waverly, who was... Commander-in-chief or whatever, yeah. Yeah. And he's retired from the army because, as one does. So the boys come up with a plan to then take their show that they are producing, playing around, bring it to the inn to then hopefully attract a crowd and help their general. In the midst, they fall into a zany love cross path, as all the lovely 50s movies are. They all fall in love. There's some misunderstandings, yada, yada, yada. We cry. They sing. They dance. Bada boom, bada bing. That's like the worst synopsis of this movie. No, that's, I mean, you, you nailed it. And I, I think that <laughs> I have like way more written. I was like, ah, let me ask you, are there any parts of this movie that you could do without? Cause I have one, one thing that I could enjoy this movie exactly the same if it wasn't there. No, not off the top of my head. There's nothing that I'm like, no, what's yours? I could do without the misunderstanding. I feel like it doesn't really do too yeah. much to push the plot along. And it's such an overly wholesome movie that having like this kind of stressful part for 20 minutes in the middle. like yeah, I, I do hate out. misunderstandings in movies. I'm just, <laughs> if you would just communicate. and that's, You know what it is? I think it was written in. I mean, it's very much Betty's character to be a bit like. The thing I don't understand is she gets pissed off. She ha- There's a misunderstanding, folks, that they're going to surprise the general by inviting everyone that fought in the 151st Division, which he oversaw, to 
honor him because he was just rejected from rejoining the army and he's really sad. But the innkeeper, Emma, overhears the conversation with Bob and his old friend on a variety show. And it sounds like he's going to exploit the general for his own publicity. This is not correct. Bob says new, but that's what Emma hears. She goes to Betty and is like, this is their plan. And she gets pissed and is like, I'm out. And then she goes to New York and takes a job there. And she just leaves her sister. She's a duo after their sister, leaves her sister high and dry because this guy pisses her off. Like that does make me, I'm like, what is, what is Judy supposed to do? So I do agree with that, but what it does give, I guess, is it gives an excuse for a number, num- another number for her to sing the song and for that song to fit where she is in the story. And let's talk about the cast real quick. So we've got a all-star cast of Bing Crosby playing Captain Bob Wallace, Danny Kaye as Private Phil Davis, Rosemary Clooney as Betty Haynes, and Vera Allen as Judy Haynes. So I would say the one I knew the least is Vera. I did not oh know gosh. Vera Allen, but I, and, I assume she's like dancing uh, royalty because gold. she kills it every gold. scene. Vera <laughs> Allen is, unfortunately, Fortunately, she is a very underrated legend. Like she is very notable in the dance world, but she didn't get at that time and even still as much recognition as a lot of other stars of the musical era. And she is by far one of, if not the best female dancer of that time. Hands down. I will fight someone if they think otherwise. I think it's maybe, is it the song? What's the song where she's tap dancing? But there's a song. It's choreography, but Abraham, Abraham's the best dance number. It's her and um, the dancer that's kind of uncredited is John Brascia or Brascia. I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but he's a phenomenal dancer and they always dance together and they do. Abraham is kind of their quick little number duo together that it's the fastest dance. It's that number. It just, my jaw is open every time. And if you listeners out there don't know or haven't listened to my podcast before, I am a dancer. I've had a 10-year professional dance career. I grew up in the ballet world, so I know what I'm talking about. She was the one of the youngest Rockettes. I think at 24, she became a Rockette. And she was five, she's 5'4". Five, she's tiny. And the Rockettes are like 5'8 and up. I tried out for the Rockettes and I'm too short because I'm 5'6". They wouldn't take me. So she's just that good. They were like, we need her. I highly recommend if you like her to watch the movie On the Town, the musical. She's very highlighted in that film and her dancing is, of course, phenomenal. But she is just the cutest little thing. Oh, and she comes out at the end. We also have to just talk about the fashion in this because the Mrs. Claus outfit that her and her sister are rocking at the end of this movie is like iconically gorgeous. I I need it. Like someone (laughs) out there who makes dresses make me one and send it to me. And, and then just, I mean, Danny Kaye. And just Kay. let me bask in it. Danny Kaye, so Danny Kaye was actually a last minute replacement. They were trying to get Fred Astaire for that role um, because Fred Astaire had been in Holiday Inn. Oh, so they were almost trying to do like a semi-sequel. Almost. They, this is not a sequel and they made it very clear it's not, but there is a crossover. Obviously, White Christmas premiered in that. And then this movie is called White Christmas. And then also they both take place at an inn. Um, the same set was used. So the set, that they filmed the inn in Holiday Inn, they redressed it, and it is now Vermont. Yeah, it almost be. Um, <laughs> it would have been like a sequel in the same way that like the next season of American Horror Story is a sequel, but it's like exactly. And Bing Crosby, Bing Crosby is in Holiday Inn. He's in this one, and he plays two different characters. But um, they did try to get Fred Astaire, and at that time he temporarily was retired. I he did go back, but um, so they couldn't get him. They tried to get someone else, and for one reason or the other, couldn't. So Danny Kaye was a last minute replacement, and. <laughs> Thank God, because what magic. He caused so many retakes on set because everyone was laughing so hard that they just had to keep doing it. So like, stop laughing. And actually, the sister's number that the girls do, which is a very iconic 
I hold it dear to my heart. That song was one that my sister and I grew up. That was our song. And yeah. we quote it. We do little like isms from it. The uh-huh. It's <laughs> one of our things. The boys doing that act was not originally in the script. And they were just screwing around on set doing it. And the director was like, we're putting this in. And when Bing Crosby starts laughing, that is real. That's him laughing. And they... They used it because it just, that one screamed the best and they couldn't keep a straight face. But I do. I mean, that's one of the most iconic scenes in it is. Let let me ask you a question. I texted you about this where I was like, there's something about this movie that feels like it it weirdly works as almost a double feature to some like it hot. Just in in some, I don't know. I I don't know how to place it, but it, it just has this like vibe that I think it's the double, maybe it's kind of the duo men team. Yeah, kind maybe of there's something cry, about it. Vibe and feel. And, you know, they're obviously not hiding out as women, but they are in the entertainment world and it's kind of them in amongst women. And yeah, now there's just a tone. Two. There's some type yeah, of tone yeah, to did, it that makes sense. It did feel. But let me ask you a question because I never really researched this. Okay. Obviously, in that episode, at one point, you and Meg talk about like how uh, Frank Sinatra was originally someone that was being considered for some like it hot. And you were discussing how like, not only would that not really work, but like clearly Jack Lennon and Tony Curtis in general are just like better human beings than Frank Sinatra was. And I've been on a Bing Crosby kick and I get the vibe that he was just a, a chill, nice dude. Is there like some dark side to Bing Crosby that I don't know about? Or You know what? I feel like I actually haven't done much research in it. And he does definitely give off that vibe. And he's one of, I mean, obviously the most famous. And I think he put a style on the map as far as his deep kind of boo-boo-boo voice. It almost um, sounds like he could be doing anything else and he'd be happy. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like this <laughs> very like, apathetic vibe to his his singing. It's the characters he plays are kind of always that. That's actually the exact character type he plays in Holiday Inn is he quits the entertainment business to go up to an inn to live. There's a song called Lazy and it's about, and he just fits so well. So I definitely agree with that. Do you have a favorite song in this? God, I did have the songs pulled up. I love, I something about when they're on the train singing Snow. That's I always was going to say Snow. It's, it's so I good. I love it. It's just so charming and cute and them making the little models. It's kind of cheesy, but it, you know, at the time it's just, I love that part of entertainment. Yeah, it's just very simple and genuine. I do love that one. Obviously White Christmas, I, I love, but I don't. I know my favorite dance number is Abraham. Yeah. And I do love the best things happen when you're dancing. Let me ask you, what was your first experience seeing this movie? How did you see this for the first time? You know, I can't say that I remember an exact moment. Um, I always owned it on VHS and it was always something that... I mean, I guess you had a dancer, Mom. I guess this was kind of just like yeah, part of the we, territory. I grew up like <laughs> during the holidays, it was like we watched White Christmas at Christmas time. We watched Easter Parade at Easter time. We watched, you know, we had like our holiday musicals that were part of the holiday Rolodex of movies we watched. And this was just kind of in there. And I remember as a kid seeing bits and pieces because when I was super young, this is kind of any older movie is a little longer and kind of hard for my attention. And um, so I would just kind of watch the musical numbers. And as I got older, I would sit more and more. And I don't remember the first time I sat and like watched the entire movie. I don't have a recollection of that, but I know I was a little older. And and ever since then, it's we watch it multiple times a year. The reason I ask is that I only saw this for the first time maybe three or four years ago. Ugh. I have a friend, Sean, and this is his favorite movie of all time. There was a theater 
near his house on Thursday nights, they would do a retro screening of something. Mm-hmm. So for the month of December, it was all Christmas movie screenings and they were doing White Christmas. And he was like, do you want to see White Christmas with me in this theater? And I said, absolutely. So we got dinner and we went and we watched White Christmas. And I remember specifically when the song Snow happened. That was when I was like, I am so in. Yeah, it's just, I don't know why. It, I, it's, uh, I think, you know what, that just might be the best song. Yeah. You know what I just found out in researching this? So in the movie, Emma is the innkeeper, mm-hmm. if you will. She's kind of the one that misunderstands or hears the phone call and stirs up that trouble, but doesn't mean to. Um, and she's played by Mary Wicks. Do you know who Mary Wicks was? She was in Sister Act. She's Mary Lazarus. Oh, I was. When I like freaked out. I was like, wait a minute. What? And I was like, she looks like weirdly familiar. And I was trying to place who she was. Because obviously when you have Bing Crosby, Danny Kaye, Rosemary Clooney, who we haven't even started talking about. Oh, her, I know. Uh, and then Vera in this movie, you just expect everyone else is also probably some crazy heavy hitter that you're just not familiar with. But yeah, Rosemary Clooney absolutely crushing it in this movie as oh well. yeah and if i would assume you know listeners but if you don't that is george clooney's aunt so yeah. talent runs in that family when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply For sure. And yeah, just so many great moments in this movie. So many sweet moments. I want to talk about we were both talking about crying while watching this. I I want to know what are some of the moments that get you every single time? Yeah, I would say I've got quite a few, but definitely obviously in the beginning when he sings White Christmas for the first time and there's like distant bombing in the back and everyone's sitting in somber realizing they're not home. And that's obviously a tearjerker moment. And then I love when and actually this is kind of fun when Betty and Bob are up late at night getting their late night snack because she can't sleep. And I can't say this that it's a cry moment, but it's a, a, just a very almost sentimental for me. Yeah, it invokes um, a, an talking, emotion. Yeah. He's talking about the different snacks and sandwiches and, and what dreams they'll provoke, which fun fact, that was actually the entire dialogue of that scene was all improvised by him. Aww. And that what the sandwiches and what dreams they make, he he completely improvised that up until then the song. And that's such a sweet song count your blessings and so i that one kind of almost in a weird way can can give me a little tear jerk and i i cry every time when the general walks in at the very end and the show's there and everyone's there and they stand up yep. for him and oh my gosh that i mean ugh. that scene makes me cry but i think I'm already crying just when his granddaughter sees him in the outfit for the first time. Yes, oh my gosh, of course. Yeah, (laughs) that one is just so... And she just looks in awe at him. And Their their dynamic in relationship is also, it's so endearing. And and then it's just tears from that point on. Because like, when they... And then they all get engaged in the end and you're uh, just already crying. There's little kids on... Oh, and they open up the, the... So when we saw White Christmas, it was like an unseasonably warm December. Like it was like 60 degrees. We really thought that there was not going to be snow this year. Matt, 60 is freezing. What are you talking oh, about? Whatever you California elite. <laughs> so we go to see the movie. And at the end of the movie, the whole pr- premise of the movie is that it's not snowing in Vermont. 
And then they open up the back doors and it's snowing out there. And they're like, oh, it finally came. And then the curtain raises and everyone sees that it's snowing outside and they all cheer. And then we walked outside and it had started to snow just as the movie ended. And it was like the most surreal experience. That's (laughs) that's awesome. Get out. So when I see that scene, I also get choked up because I think of like experiencing that, oh, we're not going to see any snow this year. And then seeing White Christmas and walking outside to snow. I mean, I don't like snow that much, but I I feel like I like a nice little dusting right around Christmas time. I feel like it sets the mood properly. But uh, that's about it. <laughs> December you know, 26th, actually, it can fuck right off. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I say. It's it's charming through the holidays. And then that's why I hate January and February. Yeah. Like, they are the most depressing months to me. But sorry if anyone's born in that month. Good for you. You get that day. But the rest of it, <laughs> Did you know there's quite an interesting age gap and difference in this film? So Rosemary Clooney plays Betty. Betty is supposed to be the older sister and Judy's the younger sister. But actually, in real life, Rosemary Clooney was seven years younger than Vera Ellen. She was 26, and Vera Ellen was 33. Really? Mm-hmm. And then Clooney is 26. Crosby was 51, and they're, that's their love interest romance. <laughs> I was like, cool. <laughs> uh, 1950s. Cool. It is such a sweet movie. It's such a beautiful movie. I bought this on Blu-ray the year after I had seen it. Because I was like, all right, well, I need this in my collection. So like usually I'll always hit up a, a Target or a Best Buy because every once in a while you'll find one or two old Christmas movies that they have in like the $5 rack. And I'm yeah, like, oh, got to grab totally. this. So I grabbed that and I remember it was Christmas Day and the family was over and my grandparents were kind of just sitting by themselves in the living room and there's really nothing to watch. And I was like, oh, I just bought White Christmas and I put it on and my grandfather and grandmother just opened up. You know what I mean? Like they were just, oh my God, it's so-and-so. Oh, this reminds me that like, and they just started to, it it really invokes something in them. And I think that that's one of the reasons why this movie actually does make me so sad is that it's, it's no secret to anybody who's ever met me, how close of a relationship I had with my grandfather on my mother's side who passed away, who fun fact audience, I haven't said this yet. I wanted you to say this. Yeah, yeah. he's the opening and closing music is an old recording I found of my grandfather's old Dixieland band is our our theme music for the podcast, which I love it, by the way. I feel like I haven't even acknowledged it's been so much. But every time I listen to it, I'm like, I this you couldn't have a better song. I love it. But I see movies like this and it does make me sad because I know that this was my grandfather's shit. Like, I know that he loved this stuff and it makes me sad to know that, like, I won't get to share that with him sometimes and that that's always a bummer i remember the first time i watched it's a wonderful life i kept crying because i felt like i was watching a movie about my grandfather that i couldn't talk to him Mm -hmm. about so these movies do invoke that in me automatically um but i also cried while watching the 12 dates of christmas afterwards and that's just a bad movie so like you know the christmas season just really makes me very emotional yeah i agree i think everyone's just kind of in this vulnerable state and it's great. I actually, I want to go back and talk a little bit more about the songs and some of the dance numbers and, and kind of break down. Vera Ellen actually was dubbed. She didn't sing any of her tracks. And it was Trudy Stevens, a woman named Trudy Stevens did all her singing. So let's give it up for Trudy. What I love in this movie is I love in the beginning, the little montage of the Wallace and Davis duo that you get and that they, A, you know, back in classic Paramount, MGM, whatever studios it is, musical, golden era, age. Um, I love how much detail and how much effort is put into it. Like, here's just a little montage just to show them like, hey, they're out and about and they have a great act. 
and they have like how many songs and little snippets and they had to go in and film and choreograph and sing all of these little songs that could have just, they didn't move the plot forward, they did nothing. But that, that I feel like there's always that extra effort of a huge production just because in these films. And I love that. It's just that extra like love and care. And, you know, that's, it's very vaudeville-y and, and I connect a lot with that style of entertainment and I love it. But one thing I love about Irving Berlin, obviously we know he's a fucking genius, but <laughs> when you start watching all of his different musicals, movies, be it shows. Um, and I love how much all his songs cross over. Some people might say, eh, it's a cop out here to use that, but I love it. I love that White Christmas was in Holiday Inn and then they bring it back, write a whole movie. Blue Skies, they do a, you know, what, 10, 20 second blurb of them doing Blue Skies. That was written in 1926. And then there was a movie called Blue Skies with Fred Astaire. That I do believe came out before this movie. Heat Wave, they do a little Heat Wave. That is also in There's No Business Like Show Business. Marilyn Monroe sings that. Um, and that movie came out also in 1954. So they those movies were coming out. Ir- Irving Berlin had two big hits on his hand. But White Christmas was 1954's most successful film as it should be. I love the, it reminds me a little bit of Singing in the Rain, which is another movie that I absolutely adore that I'm sure we Mm -hmm. will cover one day on this show. But, you know, when you do those montages of like, here's how they came up, you know what I mean? And I had to laugh because one of the newspapers referred to them as Bafo, which is like my favorite (laughs) old term that like, People, I feel like the Muppets use Bafo ironically constantly. Bafo, like, like this, this act is gonna be Bafo, baby, Bafo. <laughs> like, Absolutely, because like, because it all ties back to a vaudeville vibe, which we have discussed. That's kind of the Muppets style, and a lot of this style in Irving Berlin. I mean, it just shows. You know, he's writing these shows back in the early. 20s, late teens and all that. And that is when vaudeville was at its height. And most performers were in the vaudeville circuit, like Fred Astaire and his sister Adele as kids were on the vaudeville circuit. And so it's like a lot of these performers grew up in that world. And then when movies are being made in musicals and they're getting their stardom there, it's like their their history and background comes through. And that's why I think a lot of that style is shown through a lot of these films because that was where everyone came from, which I just love. What about, okay, I love the number Mandy and how obnoxiously absurd it is. And it's my favorite. <laughs> and just how much, like it's an amazing Musical number, Rosemary Clooney's singing beautiful. She looks gorgeous. And then Vera Ellen comes out, dances her tits off, and then they just start like throwing her. Like there's that one ending scene where they're like, throw her down and then flip her around and go out and she's just smiling at all. And then and then everyone has a tambourine. And it yep. <laughs> makes me so happy. I love that. And you know what's something, um, another number I love and it, I don't know well enough if, if other comedies or musicals were diving into this style yet, but I love choreography and it's satirizing Martha Graham, who, if you don't know who Martha Graham is, she is a choreographer and created a whole style that is known as Martha Graham style. It's very modern and kind of avant-garde and what the dancers are doing. You know, it's not for everyone. Personally, it's, you know, she is also a legend in the dance world, an iconic name, developed a lot of iconic style techniques, whatever. It's not my cup of tea because I'm more on their side of how they're making fun of it, where now everything's very like mm, choreography, and it's and there's a lot of dance that's still like that today, where it's everyone's into contemporary and making a statement, and they're just like lying on the ground, and I'm like, just give me some rhinestones and fishnets. Where's the feathers? I want to be, you know. And so I love this number because they're kind of throwing it that way, and and then of course Vera Ellen comes out and tap dances and kills it yet again. <laughs> Do you see like how fast her foot is moving 
She's like tap tap, like tapping. Oh, it's insane. It's ins- I, I I was trying to figure out where the foot was that was causing the tapping noise for a split second. She, it, yeah, it's her foot it's looked an, like it was perfectly still. It's crazy. I grew up tap dancing and I do, but I just don't even touch that level of the top tappers when they they can move their foot and how many sounds they can get in. And it. another one of my favorite tap dancers of this time is Ann Miller. She's just absolute dancing tap performing all around triple threat gold of the time. The first time I saw her was an Easter parade. She does the number shaking the blues away and she does tap in that. And I think she held a world record at some point for like the most taps per second or minute for, for a while. And she was one of the top female tappers of her time. She's also um, in on the town and Vera Ellen's in that. So again, another reason I recommend it, but yeah, that's, it's such a good. So speaking of people being in other movies and crossing over, this is a fun little cameo. And I, I actually found this out on my own. A few years ago, I was watching the movie and when Rosemary Clooney is singing, love, you didn't do me right, do right by me in New York. And she's in the club and she's got kind of the male dancers all around. We were watching one year and I looked and one of the dancers, I was like, I know this guy. My parents were like, what? How could you? And I was like, I no, he's somebody. I know him, I know him. And I sat and I looked and I was like, oh my gosh, I know exactly who that is. That's a young Bernardo from West Side Story. And I looked it up at that time and I was like, oh my God, it's him. And it's George Chachkin who ended up winning an Academy Award for his role in, Bernard, um, in West Side Story of Bernardo. But he's a young dancer and, you know, booked a gig. But yeah, it's crazy to see that. Um, and I love finding stars that end up having bigger roles or bigger careers and kind of going back to movies where they're uh, a chorus girl or a background or something, you know, I, I think it's so fun. I mean, White Christmas is the perfect example of every dance number. They are athletes. These dancers, Vera Ellen, her partner, John Brascia, they're dancing so athletically and they are jumping as high as they can. They're turning as much as they can. Everyone's flipping if they can't. Like it's, I feel like you just don't see that. And then they, they can all sing and have like an amazing stage presence. No. And I, I've made that argument, not with Dan. I mean, I, I would say dancing absolutely falls into this too, but for a really long time as a person who doesn't really watch sports and doesn't follow sports, but has always kind of enjoyed watching wrestling. Like I would mm-hmm. argue that it takes a lot more body endurance to do dance and wrestling than it does to do most other sports in the, in the sense of like, each individual sport, you're kind of focusing on a specific skill set. You know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. like you run really hard or you've got strong arms to swing a bat or you can like take a hit or this, that, and the other thing. But as you said, to do this almost aerial technique where you're like using just the power of your legs to get leaps into the air, but also like just being talented at doing that isn't enough. You also have to have the charming personality. Yeah, you got to make charisma. it look easy. You got to yeah. be a good <laughs> performer. You got to have a cute smile. You got to be able. It's there's so much. And then as a girl, you know, you learn some of the hardest choreography you're ever going to get. Jumping as high as you can, these crazy leaps. And they're like, oh, and here are three inch heels. Yeah. By the way, you're a girl, so here you go. <laughs> yeah, you're like, do this. Oh. Sure. I, yeah. When I lived in New York and I was training, um, as a dancer there, I mean, I lived in, I only danced in heels yeah. unless I was taking ballet class. It's yeah. And there's definitely an element of also like, and you've got to make sure it looks sexy the whole time. Like you can't, oh, yeah. you can't make you some look, ugly face or no, <laughs> something no, while you're you doing can't it. Look like you're sweating. You can't breathe hard. And then if you're in a Broadway show, which I've done a national tour of a Broadway show, you're singing. Yeah. And you got to make sure you're on your note. And I was like, this is a joke, right? Like I remember the first time I started getting into 
musicals and I, I, the endurance, it's it's insane. It's harder than you have to think, people. I feel like we could spend another 45 minutes just kind of doing Remember When with, I know, I with know. White Christmas. So what are your, I mean, obviously, if you haven't seen White Christmas, you really should make some time to see White Christmas. It is a beautiful, fantastic, fun movie. And I agree, like the songs might not grab you right out the gate. The humor might not capture you if you don't like that type of like old comedy. But I don't care who you are. The dancing is jaw dropping throughout the entire movie. (laughs) So stupid. Like it's. Uh, every time I watch it, I just feel like a lesser human because I was like, I will never be that good. Like my dream would to dance as good as Vera Ellen. Like it's fine, it's fine. I've gotten over it. Obviously, clearly, I'm over it. It's fine. Yeah, no, you seem like you've really worked through it. Yeah, I'm uh, only envious of someone who's been passed away for how long and yeah, had a career since before either one of us was born. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> snow, 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 snow. It won't be long before we'll all be there with snow, snow, snow. So I have a Christmas podcast as well as, you know, 10 other podcasts about every single thing that even remotely tickles my interest. What? You in podcasts? Yeah, no, no it's weird. It's almost like I know podcasting. One of the things that we did for the Christmas podcast was that we pitched ideas for movie adaptations of Christmas songs that we like. And I don't want to go there and do the whole pitch and repeat myself on that. But in the same vein as taking a hit song like White Christmas and then Mm -hmm. turning it into a beloved Christmas movie, we've seen Mm -hmm. Hallmark do this with stuff like Christmas Shoes. Is there any Christmas song that you're like, man, I would watch a movie based around the plot of that song? Yes, Grandma, (laughs) Grandma Got Ran Over by a Reindeer. I would drop everything and watch it. I'm like, I don't know where this is going to go, but I need to watch this. (laughs) I love it. I love it. You could go so many angles. Watch that. I know. I'd be like, I don't care. I need to see what this is going to be about. Is it going to be a horror movie? Is it going to be a wacky, goofy comedy? Like it could be anything. Mm -hmm. I'm going to vote for wacky, goofy comedy because that's what (laughs) I want to see. So obviously our shows before my time, which means that we'll say generously the hard cutoff date is somewhere in the, the very late eighties to early nineties. But what are some Christmas movies that if we didn't have a strict cutoff date, you would absolutely recommend as like a must watch every season. Well, the first two are probably still before my time. Definitely one trading places is like mm-hmm. one of my, I have to watch that Christmas vacation and watch a million times. And then of course I feel like the traditional elf home alone I guess that's it. And White Christmas. Like, those are the ones that I will throw a hissy fit. I do love The Holiday, Just Friends. Those are, yeah, a few. But the the first three I said were are, like, non-negotiable. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. How about you? For the ones that we would never cover on this show, I feel like the, the season isn't over until I've watched Scrooged. Oh, my and- God. How did I forget that? Yeah, yeah. Scrooged is like one of the top yeah oh <laughs> and, my God. and muppet christmas carol like yeah of course the- oh my gosh bad kelsey <laughs> I, missed, I missed the two most important well trading places still beats those for me trading just, places is so good i love that movie we might have to do that one time because i could go off for an hour right now on that movie we quote <laughs> it daily in my house so it's fine if people have other christmas specials that they think that everyone should watch every holiday season from before their time where can they go to let us know about it Please let us know on Instagram. You can find us at at before my time underscore podcast. Also on Facebook, just search before my time and we will pop up. Say hey, say hi, say hello. Share your favorite Christmas special. 
send a like actually right now on this podcast that you're listening to. Give us a five-star review. Share the Christmas spirit and give us the gift of a good review because that's cool. Um, Yeah. What's up? (laughs) That's awkward. Well, thank you so much for listening. And I hope that your Christmas is filled with snow. Snow. Oh, wait. I was so off. Sorry. We didn't rehearse that, guys. Um, We'll get back to you after rehearsal. God, you were like right on pitch and I was not. That's okay. That never happens. So this is the one time time that 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 I was so excited. Yeah. I was like, we got this. And I was like, this will be so dope. And then I was all snow. (laughs) It's fine. Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.